Evelyn Hartz, and you're listening to Day One, uh, which is my podcast about starting a direct-to-consumer brand from day one and beyond. The challenge that I'm running into now is that I have my product samples, um, and I'm now really starting to think about how do I launch this thing to the, the market, and I'm trying to figure out like what tech that I should use to launch my brand. First person I thought to go to for this um, was my friend Ben Sheriff. Ben, ben and I went to Beats together and uh, have both spent the majority of our careers working in e-commerce and specifically working at tech companies that support e-commerce companies. And so I thought he'd be a good person to have on and just to just to kind of chat this through with me and to also share some of his experiences and, and his insights. So thanks so much for coming on, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. And that intro was great. <laughs> I appreciate that. But yeah, so you and I work together at Salsify. Can you just share like what Salsify is? I guess that most people I think aren't familiar with it. Oh yeah. Let's do like just full quiz question. Ready to go. Yeah, All right. So <laughs> the, I believe when I, when I started at Salsify, the, the go-to like one liner was essentially helping brands with four pieces. Well, we'll break it down so it doesn't sound super salesy, but uh, they basically help uh, brands say, you know, Nike, for example, take all of their product information, all of their digital assets, so their images, descriptions, all that stuff, centralize it in one location, and then do their best to essentially help automate it out to the retailers. Thinking like Amazon, Walmart, what have you, all these various places that have pieces of information that they feel like are their secret sauce to how they sell products on their site. And what Salsify does is help you consolidate all that info, get it to the right people, but then also fit the right formats that each retailer requires. So there might be a certain length of description or certain image resolution, and those things are tough to keep track of. So Salsify helps you do that. And then they also have some other cool features like digital catalogs, and I'm sure they have a ton of other stuff since I started, since I was working there. Yeah, no, awesome. I, I worked at Salsify on the marketing team. You were on the sales team. Um, and since then, I've, I'm working at a, another tech company, Privy, that works with much smaller brands. Um, and one of the things that I remember kind of talking about a lot at Salsify was that there's like the big brands, like the Nikes and the Coca-Colas of the world. And then there's these more like disruptor brands, like the, I don't know, the Dollar Shave Club at the time or the, the Harry's of the world. And so I, I'm just curious, like what's your gut on what technology is needed if you're starting from scratch today. My sense is that something like a Salsify would probably be a little bit beyond my needs at this point, but I'd be curious to kind of hear about what you've seen in terms of the different technology that's out there. And for somebody who's kind of just getting started, like what your thoughts are on what you need to really get going. Totally. Uh, so the first thing I'd recommend doing is downloading, if you have Chrome, I'm sure they have other extensions as well, uh, built with has essentially an extension that allows you to check out the technology on other companies' websites. So it'll do a detailed breakdown of, oh, you know, what platform are they on? Are they on Shopify, Big Commerce, what have you? But then also all the apps that they're using. So you can get a really good sense of, okay, who are the brands that I aspire to be? And what, what are they using? And how do they approach these problems? So that's like, just first off, you get to just see what people are using. But then from there, I might have a differing opinion from a few people on this. I tend to believe that you want to get your products up there as quickly as possible and start getting information to understand, okay, are these selling well? Are they selling poorly? Because you can't really 
you know, there, I don't really see a ton of point in creating a massive infrastructure to measure everything and have everything be perfect, you know, be a Lamborghini right out of the lot when you could just build a bike that people are buying. I'm, I'm a big believer in just trying to get stuff up there and then, then measure and then optimize from there. So those are, those are kind of my, my approaches. In terms of technologies in particular to work with as, a start, as you get started off, I think it's, it's interesting. I think the first big question is what platform are you going to use? The benefits of like a Shopify, for example, a lot of early stage businesses on there as well as some large ones and Shopify Plus, they give you a ton of access to a massive app market. So especially if you're starting stuff up on your own, it gives you a ton of opportunity to, hey, you know, I don't have really an analytics resource. Let me pull in this analytics app that's going to just help me do it really easily. But then, you know, you might move towards something like a big commerce, which people have really kind of big fans of, frankly. They have a ton of tools and kind of various pieces as well that can help you get started from scratch. But beyond that, in terms of specific technologies, I'll throw a shameless plug out there for one of my uh, company I used to work for, Shogun. They actually make a low-code page builder built into Shopify, big commerce, Magento, and Salesforce Commerce Cloud. So really allow you to essentially build something without a designer. Uh, I think that could be an important technology early on. But then beyond that, you know, some pretty basic stuff. Like you'll notice when you, if you use that built with app, there are a ton of, you know, like Google, Google Analytics type stuff, some Facebook apps, some various other pieces. Review apps tend to become important as you get more purchases. I won't push out too much technology in particular because I think it really does depend on the business. But I kind of tend to focus on, okay, what do I need to build this? Then what do I need to actually see how we're doing? And then from there, okay, what are the, what's the top tier, you know, this lever we can pull to increase our conversion by one, 2%. Yeah. I love that kind of the, kind of circling back to something you had said earlier about the like not building a Lamborghini right out of the gate and kind of, especially if a bike can get you there. Um, I, I love that analogy because it's something I've been thinking a lot of because I, when I think about sort of launching a brand, I, I've seen almost like two schools of thoughts on this. Like there's like the one, you know, school of thought, which is like, start with your brand. Like all you need to be doing is growing your email list, putting out content and like building an audience so that then you can kind of go to market. And when you have a product that's ready and you know that you already have a built in audience to market to. But then I, it sounds like kind of what you're advocating for. And which is to me, like the other school of thought is that look like, you know, if you don't have anything out there, you're not going to be learning anything. You're not going to be able to like optimize your products. In your mind, is it an either or? Should you be doing both? Or what are your thoughts on that launch strategy and how to optimize and how to learn? Like, is that something that's, you know, just something that you can do, like set up a, a Shopify store, start listing products and then go from there? Or is it more of starting with like a, an email provider, for instance, like a MailChimp and just like sending out emails? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's possible to do both. I think especially in early stage, the question you have to ask yourself is what can I do? And, you know, what is in my wheelhouse versus what do I need to go find either someone else or, you know, some software to help me do? I think to some degree, you know, you're, you're in the marketing world. So building a brand is something you're pretty familiar with. So use those muscles for sure. But I also think that if you're selling just cookies or something like that, and you put out chocolate chip and oatmeal, right? You realize that nobody's buying oatmeal. You get to ask the question why. And so even by just getting it out there, it might not be you know like perfect in what you want out of your sales in the first week. That said, 
you could realize something immediately about your business that you just didn't know because you didn't have any data to go off of. And that could kind of essentially save you some issues down the road if you have to overhaul your brand or do anything, which will happen probably tons of times. <laughs> for you, I mean, you have, you have all of those muscles already. So I think you could probably do that in tandem pretty well. But in terms of just getting products on the digital shelves, I think that's the most important part. And you can, you can see what ha- comes back. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Kind of circling back to like our Salsify days and sort of thinking about the benefits of listing on an Amazon versus you see a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands that very deliberately do not list on Amazon and then try to drive traffic to their site. And I'm curious, like, if you have any thoughts too, like on whether it makes sense to try to get your product out there to as many different retail channels as you possibly can or whether it's more around building a, an audience that you own where you like, you know, you're collecting emails and, and it's not something you're not kind of playing on somebody else's turf, so to speak. Just something I've been thinking a lot about recently is, is that challenge of driving traffic to your site. It's hard to compete with Amazon and they also can be a partner. So yeah, I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on that go to market strategy or just figuring out the right sales channels that work for, for your brand if you're, you're an early stage brand. I think Amazon is kind of the interesting one that defines the rule, right? They're so massive at this point that it probably makes sense to put your products up there. That said, you don't want to spread yourself so thin that you don't know why things are happening, uh, which kind of goes into that measure piece as well. You definitely need some infrastructure to measure how things are going. But to some degree, you know, the Amazons and Shopify's of the world will provide a lot of that for you. But you don't want to, you know, put your stuff everywhere that it could possibly be seen and then not have a good understanding of, okay, how, what's the ROI and putting it on Amazon versus you know, Walmart or what have you. That, that's kind of my recommendation. I think Amazon probably is a pretty safe bet and probably a good place. That said, I think a lot of that honing of your brand and getting an understanding of what people want, especially tapping into, get an understanding of, okay, let's talk to our customers and the people who are excited about our brand and are okay with the fact that it's, it's pretty bootstrapped right now. What do they like? What can we get them? What's more interesting? And really trying to invest yourself in the people who are excited early so that you can get more people down the road. So at this point, I'm keeping track of the tech that you've mentioned you know, I need a solution to launch my website, like an e-com platform. So uh, yeah, Shopify, big commerce, one of those. Then like it might make sense at a certain point to use a tool like Shogun so that I, it'll be a lot easier for me to get really nice looking landing pages for me to list my products and kind of get the word out. And then this sort of the third thing that I need to think about is that that distribution of and this is where like it gets interesting around like Salsify. For instance, I had a, a large number of SKUs that it might make sense to use a, a tool like Salsify to get my product information out there into the world. Are there any things that I'm missing there? Um, so what I would say is that you, you want to get a good understanding of where you need to be putting your dollars. And I think that, and again, leans on some of the muscles that you, you already have in terms of, okay, where are ad dollars going and what is that getting for us, right? So like getting an understanding of that that next step of whether it be Google Analytics or measuring all of the various pieces. So you can know that when you press buttons in the future, you have just some insight as to, okay, this one worked, this one didn't, you know, maybe we're want to invest more in Instagram ads or what have you. So just giving yourself a good foundation, uh, which I think starts with the platform to grow into some of the more complex problems that you run into in e-commerce. Our bounce rate is terrible. Why is that? 
you know, conversion rates are pretty good for the people who like stay on and come through, but you know, we're losing half of our traffic in the first, you know, click. And now you can understand why that is and focus in on that rather than, okay, like we're selling things, but it seems low compared to industry averages. Why is that? That's a much harder question to answer. To me, that's that's kind of where that like the role of A-B testing and sort of thinking about landing pages really comes into play is when you throw like paid advertising into the mix is the, the beauty of, uh, you know, a Facebook or Instagram ad is that you can point people to one page uh, with one message and then you also can be simultaneously running ads to a different audience and sort of figuring out and then putting them to a different landing page. And then that's where you kind of get the big insights. As I'm talking with you, I'm wondering whether the way to go here is to, okay, I have like a couple of hypotheses about the early messaging that I should have for my brand. Maybe what I do is I just create different landing pages and then start running ads against it to see what works and go from there. But first things first, you know, make sure you get stuff up there so you have a baseline, right? You know what it seems like if you're doing just the bare minimum. And then you take a step up from there and it's okay, now we've done more. Did we see anything from that? And if so, why or why not? Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's like taking those baby steps. I honestly, I feel like I'm borrowing a lot from, you know, just agile engineering where they, they talk a lot about that kind of bike to car concept of, okay, let's make something, see what our customers think about it. And then they give us feedback and then we inform the product in the future. So you, you may not have a Lamborghini at the end, which is what maybe you thought you would have. But maybe, you know, maybe you have a helicopter instead, right? It's something that is more what people were looking for. I'm not sure why a helicopter is where I went, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah, a good, good finished product. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. I think it's interesting. So I, I work at Privy and we work with a lot of these early, early stage brands. Uh, and so one of the things that, you know, I'll see sometimes is like sometimes a customer will come to us even before they've launched their website for the first time and they're trying to figure out what they need. I feel like at the time, like I've advised them, oh, just like put it up there. Like, just just go like, you know, you can't learn unless you see something up there. But then now that I'm, I'm thinking about launching my own brand, I, I totally understand the pain point or or the the hesitation or fear to put your brand out there into the world and to start getting feedback on it. But I, I think you're totally right. You're reminding me of the advice that I've given people, perhaps unfairly before, <laughs> having not been there myself. Unless something's out there, you're, you're not learning. So yeah, I love that insight. I think people make the mistake of thinking that they have one shot to, to launch it all and it's either a, you know, a yes or a no, especially in e-commerce and when you're, you're selling a product, you've got plenty of time. It takes time for people to understand what you're selling, you know, where you're coming from, what your story is. And so, you know, a lot of the brands that are probably, you know, brands that have been around and you can't even imagine them not existing, probably had a solid year to two years of just kicking, kicking the tires, trying to figure out what was going to sell. And then, you know, maybe had just some some big break and one product kind of rose to the top and that became their defining piece. So just having the, the patience and the understanding that, okay, maybe it's not a hit on the first day, but it will probably go a long way to making it a hit on the, you know, the 50th day. Yeah. I almost think of it as I'm a terrible sailor, but I remember when I was a kid, my mom would take us out. She would tell us, all right, just shoot for like the peninsula, right? And you, you try to get there, but <laughs> it's very hard to drive in a straight line. <laughs> like, you know, you can't really do that with sailing. And I guess this concept called like tacking where, you know, you have to kind of zig and zag 
uh, and kind of harness the wind to get where you're going. And yeah, even if you sort of see the straight line or you think you see the straight path to get there, that's rarely how it goes. And sure, anchor on your goal, but also be comfortable that you're going to have to do some tacking along the way. <laughs> totally. Well, and I think that that's a cool analogy just because the the process of sailing, it, it is very much like that ebb and flow and that pushing back and trying to understand uncertain conditions. I think that makes a lot of sense. The enjoyment someone might get out of sailing, or in this case, you know, buying a product that they really are excited about and kind of there, it takes effort to be a part of, you know, that person may not be interested in buying a jet ski that'll get you there faster, but isn't really giving you the same experience of like hopping on the lake and having a, you know, a fun sport experience. I know you've worked on the agency side, mostly with technology partners, but one thing that I've thought a lot about when the right time is like to hire an agency, like in a brand's development, probably not for the early days, although I'm sure there are some, you know, maybe high net worth individuals who Wharton kids who are coming out and maybe like hire a, you know, a marketing agency to do everything for them and, and figure out their launch strategy. I, uh, I personally am not at that stage. When do you think is the right time to bring in an agency, like on the marketing side, any thoughts that you have on outsourcing in general or hiring for things that you're, you, you might not have a natural skill set or, or background in? Outsourcing is kind of a necessity early on, uh, just because, you know, you'll, you'll see these brands that are, you know, maybe a marketer from here, a salesperson from there, and they have, you know, a lot of the pieces of the pie, but, you know, they might need a developer, somebody who's going to be able to go in and adjust their Shopify theme, for example, like that's just something that I personally have, have no business doing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you know, it's something that becomes a reality pretty quickly. I think the question becomes, do you start with an agency and just kind of build a good relationship and keep it going in perpetuity? Or do you go for, you know, those freelance resources? Shopify, I believe, has a, has a massive network of resources that are essentially just individual consultants that help with everything from design to development. You know, I think that could be an interesting route, especially if you're looking to do it a little bit cheaper because their agencies are phenomenal and there are a lot more agencies out there that are doing kind of full stack work. So you never really have to go anywhere else, but the work can add up quickly because a lot of the ways that they make money are kind of getting their foot in the door with, let's say a web redesign or something like that. And then making their money off of essentially individual transactions for smaller pieces of work. And, you know, they know you'll come to them because they did a great job with the website and they kind of keep going from there. So in the, in the short term, probably going with a, kind of a more individual consultant type approach. I actually, so uh, one of my former companies, Catalan, part of their business was connecting freelance consultants in their network with Fortune 500 companies. And a lot of the things we would see are some people wanted, you know, McKinsey trained, uh, super high level forest and the trees type people. And then there were others where they're like, all right, I need to do this quick project, but I don't have access to resources that are going to allow me to do this quickly, cheaply, and efficiently. So then they would come to us for that. And there are plenty of resources on both ends of the spectrum from your, you know, your, we make websites, the big agency uh, with a lot of resources to bear to your individual consultant who is going to be able to, you know, fix something in your Shopify theme and call it a day. So I would, I would say, yes, like definitely outsourcing will come up quickly. I think with the right page builders and the right tools at your disposal, you can, you can probably get away with a lot before you need that. I think it becomes a question of, oh, how many SKUs do we have? How do we manage that? I, like essentially the logistics of 
managing your business from kind of supply chain type concerns to design marketing and all the stuff you think about with e-commerce. Um, so I, I would definitely say outsourcing is something I'm a fan of. I think it's just a reality and oftentimes you can't, can't find it all in house. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that agencies operate under that that model and that also, you know, there are opportunities to maybe hire individual contractors earlier on. So I guess the, the, the next question that I had is, so, I, I, you know, I've read articles out there that the first wave of direct-to-consumer brands, so the, the Harry's of the world, the Dollar Shave Clubs, like some of these early winners, the brands were built by these New York agencies called like Red Antler and Gin Lane a lot of these brands started to sort of look alike and that at the end of the day, the agencies were the real winners because they were able to establish this, this brand identity. And so I'm curious if you see that continuing or if that's something you had considered at all is like how to kind of make sure that your brand is distinct and differentiated and what the role of agencies are in the future of, of D2C. What's cool about this, especially when you're selling e-commerce products, the best part is that you can go shop. You can go get an understanding of what customers are feeling just by doing it on your own. You can get an understanding of how does this brand make me feel? How does this website seem and what's the flow of it like? It's easy to just get an understanding of what works and what doesn't just from initial takes. But I think agencies are going to be incredibly important just because, as, as we mentioned, you know, there's bandwidth constraints, especially at these D2C brands where they're, they're running super lean, tend to have uh, smaller teams and are trying to just drive a, a ton of revenue and build out some of the other pieces as they go. Getting the opportunity to say, hey, this agency is going to come in, make something beautiful for you and give you a real good brand identity is it's a pretty, you know, easy thing to sell to someone who might not have the resources to do something or frankly, the, just the understanding of what will work. But I, I do agree that there is, there is this danger. You see it a lot, like a lot of apps and SaaS software in general, they all use the same glider template, uh, on their websites. Yeah. And they all start to look the same. <laughs> it's like you, you very much, you look at them and you, you could kind of close your eyes and white label the brand and not have any idea which one you're looking at. You know, I, th- I think there is a danger there. I think with D2C, because there's so much variety in what people are selling and what, you know, Red Antler and Gin Lane are going to be working with, uh, you know, I think if they were selling exclusively to shoe brands, they might run into some trouble. But beyond that, I think there'll be enough variety and frankly, an understanding of those agencies that, they, they do have uh, some cookie cutter stuff to make things happen and it works well, but they're also going to be pushing to innovate because as they make it more cookie cutter, the easier it is for other agencies to mimic it. And I think that that's something that I, I, I feel like I have to keep reminding myself is that we're still in the pretty early days of direct-to-consumer and e-commerce. We've really only been around like e-commerce in general since the internet was born, which actually was like in our lifetimes, crazy enough. Um, <laughs> at least like in a way that was more usable for, for consumers. Like I see a lot of these websites that are kind of starting to look at look the same, which maybe is kind of a signal back to, you're talking about the analogy in SaaS of like early adopters and sort of crossing the chasm, like market development, like it seems like this market is really emerging and, and growing. And so, so yeah, I think that where it goes next is, is an open question. But the fact that some of the, these brands are starting to look the same is probably a good indicator that, that this is a growing market and a, a, you know, an area worth continuing to invest in. <laughs> yeah. And I also think that what's so cool about e-commerce and why I love working in it is that there are so many, you know, as you mentioned, like what, 20 years ago, the the concept of, you know, starting up your own e-commerce website was just like, it was so in the back of people's minds. 
fast forward to when we were working at, uh, you know, Salsify back in the day, people were, you know, knew that they had to be on Amazon and Walmart, but they kind of, you know, thought the workload was manageable and it was still, you know, e-commerce was still not a huge portion of their sales in comparison to their brick and mortar. And flash forward to now where, you know, we're all stuck inside, there are no storefronts open and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's all they have. And then on top of that, you've got for most businesses, especially D2C, you're seeing 50, 60% of their traffic come through mobile, which is just a platform that did not exist, right? So, so not only do they have to deal with e-commerce, but they have to deal with, okay, we have to optimize for screen size. You know, how is our, how are our load times? Because you lose half your traffic in three seconds of load. So, you know, it's all these kinds of questions that come up and everybody, the, the good news for a starting brand is that everyone's dealing with them at the same time. Some are maybe a little bit ahead of others, but everybody's still got those levers they can pull to increase their conversion by some crazy amount because there was just one thing missing or things were loading a little bit slowly and they were losing traffic. So it's kind of the wild west right now. And I, I love that there's that much opportunity to just make things grow really quickly. I was reading some chart the other day that was just kind of showing how much e-commerce as a total percentage of sales has jumped since coronavirus. And I think it's like 18% to 37%, but I think that's for like all of retail. So I like to put that into perspective, that's like everything. I don't know how people are buying things that actually that, that stat now I'm thinking about like how people are actually buying things in store. I guess people can still go to grocery stores, but um, uh, with coronavirus, how do you think a lot of these consumer shopping behaviors will stick around post pandemic. I know it's hard to kind of envision a world past what we're living in right now, but my instinct is yes. I wonder if you disagree or, or kind of what you think about when you think about the future of whether people will continue to online shop at the rate at which they're doing it today. Yeah, so I, I think they will. I think the more interesting question is how do brands respond to the fact that they just got crushed and their brick and mortar stores were nothing but a cost sink for several months. And that brought them to the brink of, you know, losing the business entirely. So how do they respond? And knowing that there is some consumer appetite to buy things online and we're only going to get more comfortable, right? Like I don't know a single person who hasn't bought something on Amazon. Frankly, I might not know a person who doesn't have Amazon Prime. So like yeah. people are, people are comfortable buying online. It's much cheaper for the brands to do it that way. And you have cool things like drop shipping and all sorts of stuff that allow you to cut costs where, where possible. So you see this kind of light at the end of the tunnel of saying, okay, if we can you know, reorganize our brand around this, maybe we'll protect ourselves in the future, but also you know, there are consumers that are clearly open to buying these types of products online. I think the fear of getting caught in this kind of situation again will change a lot of the brand behavior. And I think consumers just by nature of things getting easier and easier online and, you know, Instagram ads getting freakishly good at understanding what, what you're looking for. Um, the, you know, I think it'll become, so it, it will transition that way just by, uh, you know, over time, essentially, because people are more comfortable than they were five years ago. I assume they will be more comfortable five years from now and brands will be more incentivized to, cut costs where they can protect themselves and, you know, sell products online. 
Yeah, you think about all of the consumers who maybe weren't shopping online as much before. And to your point, I'm sure a lot of them after this are, are now more comfortable with it and more open to the idea. Maybe the better question is, is there a place for physical retail in the future? I think there must be to some degree. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting. Like you're seeing all the department stores just getting crushed right now where, you know, they have these massive warehouses, probably big contracts to pay for those buildings and just everything from electricity to all sorts of craziness. So those are going to really be tough to continue in the future, just because if they're worried about something like this happening, but then also just trying to figure out how to manage all of that is a little bit more difficult in the wake of brands like, you know, Movement or Chubbies, where they can essentially manage most of their stuff online, don't have any issues or selling a lot of products and are doing pretty well. I think with e-commerce, the, the tricky part is it works really well for most products, frankly, but there are other products that are always, people are going to feel more comfortable like going in, having the experience of checking things out. And to some degree, it really depends on the people and what you're doing. You know, luxury brands, for example, you know, might have a tougher time just selling a, you know, a $10,000 purse online. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. You know, I, maybe there are people out there who are interested in kind trying to make that purchase just online and making it easy. I would imagine, at least in my experience, I would want someone to, to make me feel like it was a $10,000 experience. Right. Um, not that I'm buying a ton of $10,000 purses, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think it's different. I, I, the best example I can think of is, buying a suit, right? So when a guy goes in to buy a suit or a girl goes in to buy a suit, it tends to be this consultative experience, right? You're walking through, they're trying on things, they're kind of helping you. And that seems like a much better experience than hopping online, looking at some suits, some, you know, some good content, some videos maybe, but you can't really tell what it would look like on you. I, I very distinctly remember uh, seeing a suit on one of the gentlemen in the store and I was like, I want to try on that suit. And it looked great on him. And it just looked absolutely terrible on me. <laughs> so, you, you know, you sometimes you just need that that kind of experience. But I do think that there will be a lot of brands that will just reap the benefit of moving more of their stuff online. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right with that, that higher like order value um, or the big ticket items. I think it's challenging. And then there's also, yeah, there's a lot of value in the, that consultative like sale, um, especially around bigger purchases. I, I don't know. I don't know if that'll be able to be replicated online, but I'm, I'm sure there's a, a lot more people asking that question, given <laughs> the way the world's going right now um, than there were six months ago. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this has been like really helpful for me. I feel like I have a lot of good takeaways as I'm thinking about launching my brand and also just as I'm thinking about the future. I'm leaving this conversation maybe more optimistic than I was uh, going in. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. We need some optimism right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, thanks so much for coming on, Ben. I really appreciate it. Of course. Anytime. Thanks for having me.